That's a very frivolous book club intro. Hi, everyone. You're watching Book Club on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter. This lady here is Carrie Smith. I forgot about that book club intro. I love it. We haven't used that in a while, have we? No, but now that we're on StreamYard instead of Zoom, it's much easier to do the intro, so we're using it. So, um, yeah, welcome. What's today? Sunday, September 19th. 19th. Uh, and, and we're doing our book club, and you're on Unsafe Space. And you're space. watching Unsafe Space. And we're on our Clips channel. And if you want to support us, actually, we're also on our main page. Always go to unsafespace.com. I'm going to get tired of saying this, but I have to keep saying it unsafespace.com that's where everything is this is embedded on the front page so there we are uh so you don't have to go to youtube no matter where we are we're always going to be there so and chats there as well so you can do that thing all right let's let's bring people on beverly i'm gonna i'm not sure who's on camera i know you're not but i'm gonna just let you bring everyone on camera who wants to be here and you're gonna control all right oh hi the book we're talking about today is Carrie. I can't. I can hold up my Kindle, but it doesn't look cool. There you go. <laughs> we're doing William Gibson's Neuromancer, and I see some familiar faces in book club today. We have Alex of all trades. Hello, Alex. We have Manny. The I was trying to think of a good rhyme, but I can't think of one. Off. <laughs> we have Cecil, and we have. Um, I, I know your name, and I don't know if I should say your name. What's your alias? Is it Finest City Cycling? That works either way. Yeah. What do you want us to call you? I think I just put my first name in here when I got into StreamYard. So okay, so Frank. Name. Yeah, but oh, no yeah. one can see it except for the fellow StreamYard guests. So this was your chance to be anonymous, which uh -oh. <laughs> uh, So thanks for know. joining us today. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Carrie, do you want to start with, uh, I, well, I don't, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I, I'm happy you to start to. with my thoughts if you want, but if you want I will, to. I will go ahead and confess. Carter already asked me the question. Ladies, don't tell. Did I finish? I read half of it and and also listened to some of it on audiobook while driving, and then I had to read the chapter summaries in order to be able to be here. So, but I, what I said to him was, I wish I'd had, I wish I'd given myself time to really finish reading the whole thing because I think his language is beautiful. I think he has a real way with words. He's like a poet but also a poet with like hard edges. It's, it's, like, it's like beautiful and yeah, yeah. So, and you had something to say about that, about his language. I, I, I well, I stumbled over the language a little bit. And I think if I hadn't already been playing Cyberpunk 2077, it would have been even <laughs> harder because that, like some of the language I was like, oh, I know this terminology because I had to use it, like I had to learn it for the video game. Um, <laughs> But I felt like uh, I know a lot of people really like the cyberpunk genre, but I came away from it going like I closed the end. Of the, I closed the book and I was like, I know what happened if someone asked me to summarize what happened. But I'm kind of there's like a lot of stuff in the middle where I'm like, I don't really know what was going on. There was lots of adjectives. Uh, but I, yeah. I don't know really what I was reading. Uh, maybe that's just me. No, well, I thought that, the same way. You did? Yeah, it was one of those experiences where I'm like, this is very well written, but it is not for me necessarily. <laughs> um, and I think part of that was the genre, but also part of it, the writing style. It kind of reminded me weirdly of reading the beats, but that might be the drug influence. <laughs> yeah, 
beat poetry. Yeah. So it's yeah. a lot like Howl by Gainsbourg, very uh, circuitous language, and it's it's kind of hard to follow all the time. He he has this thing where he, he, I mean, it's what you're supposed to do when you're building a world where everyone's high context, but it's also very hard as a reader when you're being introduced to it to not know what's going on because everyone already has, everyone in the novel already has a high context relationship with all the things in the world. So how do you introduce that to a writer, to a reader uh, when it's their first time? And uh, honestly, I think that's actually where this novel has a problem but I don't think it's a big enough problem to go that's not a good novel. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was, I had two issues with it. One was the context thing, and I'm kind of okay with like, all right, I've got to figure out the context. But there were parts of the book that I felt like, this isn't context. This is just massively metaphorical or something going like, like when he's describing virtual environment stuff. And, and I have a problem generally with, um, and maybe this is my own personal issue. I have a problem generally with writers who like think that they can visually represent what's happening uh, in software. Like that's not a thing. So like the, the idea that there would be these, you would watch ice form and like things happen. And like, that's, it just doesn't, the whole thing's just so metaphorical to me that, and, and the, I'm, I reread a few like paragraphs where I was like, I, I'm pretty sure nothing's being said here. Actually, he's just he's wanted <laughs> he's to a, evoke a feeling. Yes, but there's no actually information being communicated about what's happening right now. That's why I was saying I think he's like a poet. Like, listen to this. This is he's talking about looking in a shop window at those uh, stars that I'm I don't sure know what you call them. Yeah, that you throw at people I'm as a sure. weapon, and he says. Um, they caught the streets neon and twisted it, and it came to case that these were the stars under which he voyaged, his destiny spelled out in a constellation of cheap chrome. A constellation of cheap chrome! That's beautiful! <laughs> yeah, but that like, part, that part I would say is the beautiful poetry part, not the confusing yeah. part. Right, like right. that's That, I, I am with you on that. I appreciate that kind of language. I think he did a great job in those moments. There were cool moments like that. I'm glad you found that one. Uh, where it was just like that was awesome, and then there were moments where it was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what were other first impressions? So, uh, what about you, Manny? You haven't spoken. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I first started reading it, I was a little bit lost because of, I guess, trying to figure out some of the words and uh what was happening because it jumps from one place to another so after a while you start figuring out it's virtual reality sort of matrix style so um but yeah it was a little bit difficult to follow for a little while maybe like Cecil, that's probably not my cup of tea in terms of of what i'm reading but you know the whole the whole book was very visionary i think in in terms of you know if you think about when he wrote it in 19 the 1980s and yeah. uh yeah, you know, it makes you think about technology and artificial intelligence and how, you know, I mean, that's the world we're going towards. So how is it going to affect us at the time we get into that, you know, into something like that, which is going to come eventually. So did yeah. any of you read his foreword that came out um, like within the last 20 years? 
Is that where he was? I think so. Yeah, it's in in this version, right? right? Yes. Yes. I thought it was so funny you talked about the idea that there's no cell phones because he didn't predict that. And then the fact that he didn't predict that because in the novel the USA doesn't exist but the USSR does and he's like if they had uh, if I had flipped that they would have burned me at the stake as a witch (laughs) because at the time that like they were both viable so I thought that was really funny that he talks about how he things he talked about when it came to technology and the like the fact that when he has a close relationship with technology he felt like he failed because he he put too much of it in there versus when he had a distant relationship he felt like as a future novel that it was probably better off if when he didn't know what he was talking about technology wise yeah interesting yeah because he also gave some examples uh i think it was in that forward where he said or maybe i read an interview where he was saying that even some of the examples he used to paint a picture to try and paint that visual image were dated. So he said, even saying like, uh, to describe like it, it, the sky looked like the static on a TV screen. I think the one he really said that he had a problem with was the mechanical sound of a keyboard, you know, a mechanical keyboard Mm -hmm. that it was like, that doesn't exist. Although if you talk to gamers, we all have mechanical keyboards. Because I was going to say, I've got one. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what's in front of me. <laughs> but the, like, you know what struck me as, as interesting um, that made me think? Because I think there's, there's something cool about, uh, well, there's something prescient about a world in which people spend a lot of time in virtual reality and that becomes a normal thing. Um, and I used to be... Much, I used to be much more skeptical about that becoming uh, a, a viable thing. But literally this week, early this week, my wife bought an Oculus. And I played with the Oculus this week. And I said to her afterwards, I was like, oh, my God, we have to invest in virtual reality. And like, oh, I've already I already have been invested. In virtual reality. So someone was paying attention. But it is it's gotten to the point where like that old stuff that you used to see at ces which was like clunky and horrible and tethered it's untethered it works really well and i just came away from it going people are going to waste their lives on this this is going to be this is a drug people are just going to live in this world i mean it's the first untethered one i think and so i'm sure it's just going to get better and better and better and uh I suddenly saw Ready Player One happening. I was like, oh, that can totally happen now in a way that I thought it was kind of too fictional before. And now I'm like, ah, I don't know. Um, and so, one thing I like about this is Case is kind of addicted to being in virtual reality. It's kind of like a drug yeah. for Yeah. Yeah, that euphoria he gets when he gets finally gets to jack back in. I think he actually yeah. does have a physical... Uh, reaction to that <laughs> and when, he, when he couldn't do it he was like curled up in a fetal position in his sleep because he couldn't yeah. get into it anymore and it's like that's that is addiction <laughs> yeah so frank what were your first impressions i enjoyed it um yeah it was a little slow reading at first for me and then it picked up probably about a third of the way in but um yeah it was um I thought the uh, I think Alex was just talking about how the USSR survived in this in this um, 
this book, but also like Japan survived in a way too. Like the eighties was the time when Japan was like on top of the world, like the bubble and everything. All these electronic devices were like Sanyos and Sony's and I just thought that was kind of interesting that now Japan has kind of fallen a bit on the back burner compared to, I mean, it's still a big industrialized nation, but, and uh, if you've ever been to like Tokyo or Osaka or something, like it is totally, especially at night, kind of has that cyberpunk feeling to it. Mm -hmm. It does. I was surprised that they, even in the like recent video games, like Cyberpunk 2077 is like all... Jap it's like this assumption of Japanese. I don't yeah. know if like Japanese is part of that entire genre now, even though it no longer makes sense. Um, and it does have that Tokyo feel of like, oh, this is, yeah, this is where, this is, I don't know. It seems yeah, like at least from when I visited, because I don't speak Japanese, I'm not you know too familiar with the culture. I always look at it as an outsider. Like that also is kind of how I felt like reading this that part of the, of the novel too. Like Case is a complete outcast from. You know, granted, he's in kind of that. I guess it's cheaper was where he's at. Where it's kind of a an outcast area, anyways. But there is like no connection with the the actual world there. It's kind of interesting in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I was completely surprised surprised by the uh, space Rastafarians. I did not expect that. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and the way yeah. that he did their. Uh, well, I read it as I read. I like read that as their accent. Like I was just imagining like this Jamaican, like reggae artist accent or something. <laughs> he did really good with that. But I was completely not expecting those characters to be in here. Yeah, they're talking about Jaw. What do you uh, think? Oh, oh, we have a new joiner. Who's who just joined? Hey, how's it going? Zach. Hey, Zach. Sorry to, good to see sorry you. Sorry to be late. Howdy. That's all right. Why don't you give us your first thoughts on the book? We've been kind of sharing our first impressions. Um, this is kind of an imp so I've got this copy here, which is I love this cover. Um, looks like a circuit board and everything. I heard a good summary of it, which is that there's. Uh, I mean, this is kind of more cyberpunk in general, but it, it applies to this book. It's that there's really no good guys or bad guys. There's just people wanting to get paid. <laughs> So yes. it, like sense. you, you kind of root for Case, but you're kind of like, eh. <laughs> that was something I had a hard time with. Um, after a while, I was like, should I care about these people? Because I don't know if they care about themselves. But yeah, yeah it also kind of made me think of like one of the big themes that has kind of also been a topic of conversation in my life is transhumanism and like a lot of people thinking of themselves as machines or something other than people and was thinking a lot about those characters because um, they all seem to have different relationships with technology and things that are kind of outside the human experience there's, there's that one guy whose brain has been like wiped by an ai and he's being puppeted around and there's all just all sorts of crazy other than human experiences yeah i actually felt yeah. sorry for armitage in the end did wait anyone else because like at first it was like he seems kind of flat and pointless like and then when it comes out what's going on there i was like oh this poor bastard yeah i he felt was, bad yeah, for him. Was a bummer. he's a meat puppet it was kind of disturbing 
Yeah, and he was even brought to that state like through circumstances that like the government screwing him over and whatever. Like he just one one bad experience after another brought him to the state where he could be used by an AI as a meat puppet, which is just and and tossed away like when he was no longer useful. (laughs) It's hard to disposable, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting how. you know that that was where he ended up, uh, but but uh, that's where uh, I just went blank on her name. Not Linda, um, Molly. 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 But that's how Molly started out. You know, she was this meat puppet in this brothel, um, just being completely used, and then she broke away from that. But Armitage kind of fell into that, unfortunately. Yeah. I'd say my favorite part of the whole book is the relationship between Molly and Case and how they end up not together in the end. Like, it made sense. Like, I felt like that was actually, like, he, I feel like he does a really good job with character. It, and it's true that none of these characters seem to care about themselves or about each other much. Well, and, uh, but then to, to make them more likable than the bad guys or the, like, the people they're up against the people they're up against are so inhuman and i don't mean that in the way that some of them are ai i mean that in the way that some of them are so incredibly animalistic and cruel uh even though molly is essentially you know a bruiser uh she's not cruel i wouldn't call her cruel and so to me it felt really uh like he did a very good job of like making these people seem both um reckless and also more likable like the better option in this horrible world yeah there were no people that you could relate to that were kind of like oh that's a normally that's like a normal good person like there was none of those people ai or human nothing that's what the humans and the AI were very similar in that sense. Like the humans were just slightly more human than they're closer to AI than human, I guess. I wasn't so, sure can... if I was supposed to like that the AIs were merging or if that was like, was that a happy ending or a sad ending? Like no. were things getting worse or better? I wasn't really sure. I think he leaves it ambiguous on purpose. So you can map your own opinions onto that and i of course you can read my, the next two books i guess right but my opinion is not a good thing consolidation monopoly <laughs> and uh I, I just wanted to backtrack for a second i know we were talking about how this was written in 1984 and how he was um writing about technology and things sort of making predictions about certain things in his writing but the stuff that he got right is pretty impressive to me I mean, like you were talking about Carter with virtual reality and living in this, the way he talks about cyberspace, even though he may not do a great job, like you said, it might be clunky and trying to describe what a computer system is like or something. But the way that he talks about it, even as a separate place where your consciousness goes, I think is so fascinating that he nailed that. And and then there there were other things where he talks about the matrix and it, it made me think of the movie, the matrix and how much it may have borrowed some things from him. And, um, and so that's leading me to my, my, my question about the ending as someone who, by the ending, I'm reading the chapter summary. So my question here is at the end, 
so the two different so the two different AIs merge and then they're they're basically there's this line. I did go in and was like looking for this line. There are are they trying to say that you should just live in the cyber like in the virtual reality forever? Because the the, it, the AI says to him, to live here is to live. There is no difference. That's what Neuromancer wants, right? Right. That's that AI. Yeah, Neuromancer wanted them to live on the beach in a little shack with with uh, Linda Lee. Linda Lee. It's like it's like in the Matrix, the movie. It's like deciding to go back in the pod and have that steak that you talk about, Carter. You know, oh, what, yeah. whoever that character yeah. was. It's like choosing yeah, to live. Is it that? Is is that what's happening there? Is they're sort of saying, this is, you know, offering this choice to live in this sort of beautiful fantasy forever, or no? But is well, it yeah, a and, that, and that's the Matrix. I mean, that's the Matrix 1.0, like when Agent Smith tells Morpheus, you know, we tried to create a perfect world where there was no pain and there was no suffering and no war, but no one accepted the program. <laughs> um, so it, it almost seems like that's what it was creating at the end of just this kind of artificial paradise. But was it, uh, I, was it a paradise, though? Was it? He didn't like the food. It was cold. It was like it, it didn't seem like a paradise. It seemed like kind of a thrown together yeah i made a beach and here's some mres for you and your girlfriend it felt it was like, like not a, a lot of effort was put into <laughs> no. that no more like a dream he's and, phoning it in and neuromancer like i think it's neuromancer says that the closer they try to get to the city the smaller the space gets so it's not it it, it almost feels like a, a dream and collapse so it's not i wouldn't even say it, it is a paradise because it is it is more like the out the outlines are so fuzzy so it's not even like matrix 1.0 it's not even matrix 2.0 it's like you know this city block of the matrix essentially <laughs> alpha testing of the matrix yeah <laughs> that i thought that when that at the end carrie to kind of get back to your question about like what was going on with the ais and like Something that was interesting was they they merge and then there was this like oh well it turns out that we're just on a completely different plane than humans now and now we talk to aliens and it I wasn't even sure whether like are they still going to be a part of the world anymore or is it and or is this like a I kind of felt like that was a representation of an evolution past humanity um, was that the point I don't I don't well. It, I, it might be this idea of them by, by Winter Mutant Neuromancer joining, becoming something more than what they were originally, like just more than the sum of their parts. Because what Winter Mute said he had no personality, that he was just essentially what thought, and while Neuromancer was personality, there wasn't a lot of like going on there beyond who he was like i can't i i like supposedly he had a plan and i'm like D did he I don't, I don't know like with the the construct he created the beach was kind of like carter said flimsy so but together we don't get a picture of what they're really like together so maybe they're implying that they are better together but i i i would have to read the next novel and i'm not sure that i want to <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Gibson was trying to make a statement about 
like either warn us or prod us to do something technologically as a society? I, I kept thinking about that too, Carter. It's like how Ray Bradbury says that he was always trying to prevent the future, uh, yeah. not not predict the future, but prevent it. And it does seem like people are sort of dehumanized in this, like they've dehumanized themselves and, and others. Uh, I'm not real sure. And I, I think the, the cloning definitely of the uh, Tessier Ashpool family, how they they have this like eternal lineage through cloning and, and I guess gene modification or something. Um, and they just, you know, they're these like God emperors of this orbital space station, but uh, they don't seem to care about anyone and no one seems to care about them. Like they're just, they're just there and they're rich and in charge. And so that seemed to be the end point of what people in this world could attain. Uh, but it seemed very empty. Um, so perhaps he's commenting on that. I'm, I'm not really sure there. I, I couldn't really, it's like, I, it's like I said, I, I'm not really sure who the good guys are in this. I'm not sure who actually wins in this story. Um, and I even thought about that with the, uh, the Turing police. I'm like, maybe they were right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did agree. It felt really empty. I was surprised when like, that family was revealed it was like that's your life you're kind of alone by yourself in this empty space uh i guess the woman had a bodyguard but like just so yeah so lifeless actually uh and so detached from enjoying life uh and that was the thing they were preserving I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love a ninja bodyguard. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would make my life so much better. <laughs> I don't know. If I had a ninja bodyguard, I assume that it would be for a reason, and I'm not sure I would like the reason. <laughs> I would need a ninja bodyguard. <laughs> Is there any kind of a... Because the only time I saw anyone enjoying anything in the book there didn't seem to be a lot of joy it was just sort of vices or pleasures like when he goes out and gets you know his fix gets the drugs or when he first well, gets back into cyberspace or sex or but these just sort of people just have these fleeting pleasures right but there's not like any purpose is there in this book like you said any uh, I didn't see uh, Zach, it was like just about making money. Like, and it wasn't even making money in like a, I want to make money to do something. And it wasn't even like I want to make a lot of money. It was like I want to make enough money to get my next fix. Like that was that was kind of the other than the the family who was kind of make like maintaining power. Even the characters weren't there. Wasn't like this goal. It wasn't like Case was like I want enough money to someday buy my own spaceship and visit mars like it was just like i need enough money to get my pancreas fixed so i can start drinking again or whatever whatever like do it <laughs> like, all right yes. well i try to think that the if you you can't look at what everyone does in a novel like this because case is the main character at the beginning of the novel he wants to die but he doesn't want to commit suicide uh he's walking around very purposely mm -hmm. without a weapon uh, pissing anyone he can off. He's like Ishmael at the beginning of Moby Dick. 
knocking people's hats off, hoping someone decides to take him out. Um, because the one thing he got joy from jacking in is gone. Uh, so his hope is that's why he makes this deal with the devil. They said they'll fix me so I can go back, jack in again. Um, but then he's over a barrel. So really it's more about like the, the mystery of the novel is there, but really compare case at the beginning to case at the end and tell me like, did he get what he wanted? Is he better off emotionally, psychologically? Uh, does he seem like a more complete person after this experience and getting everything fixed? Yeah, was there any growth? And I, and I don't see a lot of growth for him or Molly. I no. don't. I guess no, Wintermute she... grew. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> Is he the main character? <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was thinking he, he starts to care about Molly, uh, and he he has the, I, I guess he has the opportunity to leave Molly, although it would sort of jeopardize him, because now he needs to complete the mission for, to get the, uh, whatever it is, like the antidote to the poison sacks in him, because now that um, Armitage is out of the way, he, he needs to get, you know, Wintermute to help him, but you know, he doesn't end up with Molly at the end. And he, he's sort of with Linda, but it's kind of ambiguous. So, like, you know, it, it's not like he saves the world and gets the girl. Like, <laughs> he, he, he saves the girl and the world doesn't really change. <laughs> and, and he's not with the girl that he saves. So. Is saving the girl good enough? Uh, my, my question there mm -hmm. is... Is the act of saving the girl the thing worth fighting for, as opposed to saving the girl so that she then decides to stay with you? Good question. Because then it's a like supposedly a selfish motivator. Is it just because he cares about her and he wants her to live? Which is yeah, probably well, that's still a selfish motivation, right? Like, <laughs> even if she wasn't going to be with him, if he cared about her, it would still be a selfish motivation to save her. Because uh, you would want her to be well, in the world. less selfish but, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, my guess is he would do it again, even knowing that she isn't going to be with him. But why did you like that they didn't end up together? Because that was something actually I didn't like. Um, because I wanted to see her grow past her issues, which were brought up, uh, and I wanted to see like I kind of wanted some character growth there, and I thought, okay, well. Maybe it's a little bit Disney of me, but if they end up together, maybe they can kind of support each other in being better people and grow yeah. beyond because this dependency. I, I would say that the reason why is because if the novel as it stands, if in like the last chapter, all the preceding chapters are exactly the same. And in the last chapter, Molly and Case end up together. They stay together. That the, the preceding chapters didn't lead up to that. Um, that they didn't experience enough growth to have a healthy, normal relationship together. Now, I it see. would be... It would have been uh, unrealistic, is what you're saying. Yes. Uh, the novel okay. would have unearned that, wouldn't have earned that ending. So if it was different, like in if it had, if they had gone through enough growth to, for that ending, I would have said, yes, 
that's perfectly fine. But I didn't see that they did, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I, I understand that argument. It's interesting because they had this mechanic of um, where Case could basically live inside of her body, like experience what she was experiencing, which is extremely intimate and kind of, I don't know, I think there was a lot of opportunity there for maybe character growth. Um, and they, like, she would know that he was there and start sharing things, but like, nothing really came of it enough. She did share her about her past lover who died during one of those scenes, and I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of a weird, broken way of connecting, I think, <laughs> which is good for the story, but was frustrating for me as a reader. Well, I guess that's what ultimately is unsatisfying. Because, because sorry, like man. you said, I mean, you like, you like, like them. It seems like everybody's selfish, looking out for their own benefits, looking for their own thing, whether it's the drugs to get paid. And, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of playing this chess game that even you don't know what's going on at some point. And, uh, you know, it, but it does lead you to, to think about technology and the impact it has on, on our world, right? I mean, that's what I think when I read the book. Like, well, I've always, deep in my mind, always thought that technology can be lead to the ruin of all of us if, if it goes the wrong way. It can be very destructive. It can be very good, too, right? There's very good things that come from technology. But there's some very bad things that come from it too, potentially. So how do you control that from happening? Because I don't think any of us would like to live in a world like we read in this book, right? No. Or Actually, so I, one thing I'm unsure about the world, uh, I don't know how, like, we're following Case. Yeah. I don't know what, like, is there an entire regular class of people who goes to work and does their thing and, like, watches <laughs> VR Netflix and, like, I don't know. I, is, are we watching just the fringes of society doing things? And maybe this space station is not actually representative of what, what humanity's yeah. kind of like. We don't really I don't see. Know. All we see is his side of what, what he's living. So we don't know what else is going on. Seems like everybody. Yeah, there, there is infrastructure that's functioning. There's like subways and shuttles and airplanes and stuff going on. Like someone's building this and yeah. doing like something's happening in the world. It doesn't, you don't just like, it's not all decaying. Like Gibson didn't go out of his way to say like all this stuff is old and decaying. It seemed like, in fact, one of the ships was kind of, I think was new or relatively new, right? So it was like, all right, someone's building and doing something just none of the characters we know true yeah it's like I a sort mob of wish movie that... almost <laughs> <laughs> but it's still like it's uh think of the movie to go back to the matrix comparison for a second there's other stuff happening in the world but it's all bleak i just kind of viewed the world as pretty similar to that world where you know what, what do we see of the rest of the world in that movie, for example, it's just, I don't know. It's like a rat race. I think, I think, I think this book is maybe, maybe meant to just be a commentary on the way he views humanity. I don't know. I mean, in the matrix, they go out of their way to show that life is bleak. Like they show Neo's job. True. They show that life is bleak. I was going to say his job. (laughs) Yeah. 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 For this, the whole time I'm like, I don't know. Is case like, 
is he in the slums and an outcast? But that's unusual. Like, this is just what life is. Maybe this is like, because at the beginning of the book, I was thinking maybe we're going to find out that this is some kind of lower class and there's some social dynamics going on here that's at the root of the problem. It's like a Hunger Games thing. And I like, actually, I didn't, I'm not really sure what's going on outside of this world. Or cases, cases, small world. Well, at the end, you know, it says he found work. So that's like the last page. Mm-hmm. And and at the beginning, it's like, you're not really sure what he's doing. Like he's he's kind of working in the black market and doing drugs. And maybe he's back to doing that because it says he got a new pancreas and liver. So maybe because one of the things was he got the uh, they gave him a liver that wouldn't allow him to get drunk or something. So I, I, I'm not sure if that's him getting the new liver so that he can get drunk again. <laughs> Uh, but it, I mean, it's just interesting. He found work. That's how it, how it ends. Where at the beginning, it's like he's just kind of doing all these odd jobs that he hates. And he seems, it's like someone said he, it's like he wants to commit suicide or he wants to die, but he doesn't want to commit suicide. And he found a girl. Uh, he's back in the Matrix. So he's kind of doing what he loves. Uh, but I'm not really sure that it's, I, so his situation has improved. I'm not really sure that his life has improved. Do you uh, think but, he no longer wants to have someone kill him? I think so. Um, he seems to want to do something with his life. So maybe that's, that's good. Um, so it, that's like a minor change. I, I guess that's a big change for him. It's just a minor change from what you expect, I guess, in the story. And does he kind of, since we're bringing up the end, does he kind of have it both ways? Because he sees, it seems like there's a copy of himself that stays with Linda, right? Um, or am I misreading that? Like, he's out doing his thing, but he sees Neuromancer, I guess, and Linda and himself. There? Right, because that's or in the Matrix, that- right? Yeah. So, like, was there a cop? that's like when he left, is like there a copy of him that stayed with Neuromancer? I mean, I thought I think so, right? I guess Neuromancer could have just made a copy of him, anyways, a construct or whatever they called it. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I I hadn't thought of that, Carter. I I thought this was just how. Um, you know that trope in movies where it's like someone dies and then 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 the other person thinks they see them, like There's oh Obi-Wan that's standing there. Yeah, and then it's like oh no, it's just someone else. I I kind of took it as that at first, but it's but hard to right. tell it's in just... a book like this. What <laughs> <laughs> hard to tell a lot of things. Yes. So I thought, can we t- just talk about interesting characters for a second? Uh this character Riviera. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it's like the apartment uh, of this book about bad guy, right? He's the what? The bad guy. Really? Yeah. He's the bad guy. Eric Cartman of the book. Oh, the oh, Eric God. Cartman of the book. <laughs> well, yeah, there's this interesting part where for anyone who maybe hasn't read this who's watching, I don't know if anybody would watch this if they haven't read, but when Molly's describing him to uh, what she knows about him and she says, 
Uh, I'd assume Killamas look at him. I saw his profile. He's kind of a compulsive Judas. Can't get off sexually unless he knows he's betraying the object of desire. And they have to love him first. And then she says, the profile said it way down later. The profile said it was a very rare type, estimated one in a couple million, which anyway says something good about human nature, I guess. Uh, I don't think it's one in a million. <laughs> I think it's a lot more. <laughs> I mean, what did you think about him? Do you think he was like not representative of a certain segment of humanity or as a character? I do think, I do think it's rare. I don't, I don't uh, think it's a very common thing um, to be that much of a sadist, like a real sadist uh, who really wants to cause people that much pain. I don't think it's that common. But um, I actually really loved how Molly reacted to him because whenever he would pull his shit, she would just like blank face and shut down because she knew so much about his personality that she knew that if she did react, uh, he, he would get off on it. And I thought that was brilliant. And I was like, wow, she's a lot smarter like about people than uh, just being the bruiser would, you know, make you think true yeah hmm. any other favorite characters <laughs> <laughs> it's hard Carter. right because they're so it was bad. hard it was hard to characters. i was reading and they were jumping all over the place and i'm like i don't even know who these people are at some point he would change names they were called one person oh, no. yeah and it was like it was oh this is this and they call him a different name and you're like what's winter going? mute confused me so much because he he didn't have his own personality so he kept showing up as other people mostly as the finn but i was like who is that the finn or is that winter mute i'm so confused right now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, but I wonder if that was part of it, though, right? Because that's why he was tricked by Neuromancer, because you weren't really sure someone was showing up and you kind of assume at the at one at, eventually you're just like, I guess this is Wintermute. And then it was like, actually, no, it wasn't Wintermute. <laughs> yeah. So but the that... artificial intelligence that you run into in the book, right? Because that's a lot of what you see. All, a lot of these characters have artificial. So I was thinking about it and. It was making obviously the way I interpret it, these these artificial intelligence machines or whatever, they, they had consciousness, right? Which I mean, is that real right now? I mean, obviously not, right? When we run into AI, right now an AI doesn't have consciousness, but in his book eventually it seems like we get to that point where they are almost able to to act in, you know, consciously trying to achieve things. And uh, maybe that's why we say that AI is going to be so dangerous for us, hopefully, you know, possibly in the future. But that's an interesting thing about this book, too, though, for me, is that AI is not, it's not a pristine AI that's good. Mm -hmm. But it's also not the AI of the apocalypse stories where it's like, I want to kill all humanity. It was an AI that was like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll kill people if I need to, but I've got other shit to do. I got to go talk to aliens on Alpha Centauri, so like, I don't really. It was an AI that was kind of indifferent to humans. Uh I felt. Yeah, like. there was the Turing police who were apparently supposed to try to prevent these things from happening in the first place. Yeah, trying to control them. Or yeah, right. But it turns out like. 
I don't know. It seems like okay. Well, if if that was if the Turing police really needed to control it, you'd expect the two, I guess, lobes of the air, uh, whatever, to get together, and then like, ha ha, we've seized power. All humanity's dead. And it's like, no, we're talking to aliens. It's like, all right, well, well okay, good luck. <laughs> How does it compare to the AI in? What was that other book we read? I loved it a lot more, actually. The one you, your favorite book. Are you talking about The Moon is a Harsh Mistress? Yes. I was wondering if we were going to talk about, um, what was his name? Mike. 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 Yes. I was called a Mitch. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of remember, I, for some reason, I was remembering Manny, the, the main character, and I was like, no, that's not his name. <laughs> yeah, Mike well, had a lot more of a personality. Him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mike was also Winter, younger, wasn't he? Than these? Mike was what? Younger? Yes. I think so. He was brand yeah, new. A, he had just become conscious. Right. Right. Whereas uh, Wintermute, man, that guy is a scheming jerk. <laughs> right? Because he had, he had like, he did the whole thing with Armitage. Then he... What was the thing about he had set up a key to be in a, like some little cabinet, and he'd killed a kid to put it in place? Like, yeah, th- there were all these like schemes he was running, and, and he had he had influenced the daughter. He had somehow it had, I think it suggested he had influenced the daughter to influence the cryo sleep of the father, so that the father right. would go crazy, and like it was like this. 4D chess kind of crap, and he was very patient. Wintermute was like, yeah, yeah. I guess in, in the next two generations, this stuff will come to ha- <laughs> like who knows how long that key was sitting in that drawer. Uh, there, there was a statement that came out in the news recently after the Afghanistan withdrawal, where one of the leaders of the Taliban said something like, "You have all the watches, but we have all the time." Yeah, and and how they view this war is like this generational centuries long war and and that that was the feeling i got with wintermute like you said he's so patient he will he will take as many years or decades or generations as he needs to do what he wants he's not in any hurry and he he doesn't care about anyone along the way and i i kept reading that thinking okay so he he got rid of armitage and so case is like well guess you're gonna have to save me now and he's like yeah i'll, I'll save you sure I'll, I'll give you the antidote and i'm like I'm like, Case is going to die. Like the whole, mo- the whole book, I'm like, he is dead. Because this AI does not care about anyone. Um, but that's an interesting so I, point. He didn't kill him. Why not? Because he doesn't well, care either way. It's just like... Yeah, but so why bother? Why bother to give him the cure? Well, he was different afterwards, after he got what he wanted. That was the whole point, was to be something else. Because he... Merge with your personality. So that means that he's not he's not Wintermute anymore. Whatever yeah. which Wintermute said is is that like, well, whatever I am after this is probably going to do what you want. Like and to me, I'm like, that's a friggin' amazing gamble for everyone involved. <laughs> yeah. Did Neuromancer want to merge or no? No. Neurom- he didn't. Right? He did. Right? Why Who not? Who said he did? 
we know one. <laughs> oh, I thought somebody said he did. Why, why didn't he want to merge? Well, uh, that's the part I can't remember. I, yeah, I don't remember him explicitly stating, but I got the sense that because he already had his own personality, be, and Wintermute didn't have a personality, that that meant that uh, Neuromancer has a sense of self, self, which was, uh, if you have a sense of self, you and you don't hate that self. Yeah, you you don't want that self to be destroyed or subsumed by something else. Versus Wintermute, who has no sense of self, wants that, and the only way he can get it is through Neuro Neuromancer. That makes sense. I like that explanation. <laughs> can we can we talk about Hideo? <laughs> so that's my answer to Carrie's question of like which, which minor characters you like. I really liked him because yeah. first we see him in uh, in that recounting that the Finn is talking about his friend Smith that had that the head, right? And then Hideo apparently gets through all of his security. And just shows up, and he's just he's just there. So already he's awesome. You know, he walks through all of, he breaks through all the security, and then he's like really polite. He's like, "Oh, I I heard that you had something. Um, could I have it?" <laughs> so you like he could just totally kill this guy and not say a word, but he's super polite. Then he gets the head back and he takes it back to the the space station. And in the end. When Rivera blinds him with the lasers, he's like, oh, it's a good thing I trained in the dark with my eyes closed or whatever. So now he's like even more dangerous, like blind. <laughs> I'm like, man, this guy's awesome. Like, <laughs> I want a spinoff series about Hideo. <laughs> so, he was pretty cool, Zach. He was pretty cool. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That life is better with ninjas. Like, it's <laughs> never dull. <laughs> was he the best character in the book? Because he didn't, he didn't really do anything dishonorable the, um, that I can think of. I liked the digital cowboy mentor fellow whose name I forget. Uh, wow. Oh, Dixie. Dixie. Oh, yes. Dixie. Yeah, he was fine. He was all right. Yeah, but he was dead. Yeah. But he was, yeah. Not really a person. <laughs> yeah. There was a and Chinese virus. Yeah, there was a Chinese virus, I was going to say. <laughs> there you go. Prediction. Check. <laughs> and it went everywhere. <laughs> well. well. Has anybody uh, else read any more of William Gibson? This was my yeah. first introduction I have a friend okay. who keeps trying to read Snow Crash and keeps bouncing off the language, and he's read Neuromancer. So to me, that means mm. that Snow Crash mm. probably the language is even tougher. <laughs> do you mean like the jargon, or do you mean like no, profanity? No, I, I mean the prose. Oh, oh, oh in, just the okay, the, yeah. the complexity of language. Okay. Yeah. Does has anyone else like? Does anyone else read this genre generally? Yeah, I read some other Neil Stevenson books, and yet like Seven Eves, and that was also yeah very dense. I'd, I'd like to read Snow Crash, but getting through very technical, very complicated books is it's work. <laughs> it, it doesn't just you know happen easily. 
I so, realize like Neil, Neil Stevenson is cyberpunk genre. Like he would fall into that. Mm. I mean, he calls himself a historian of the future. <laughs> so he he writes in a very historical, almost documentary way. Like very, in some ways, very dry, but it's extremely detailed. So, like, is that book seventies also had like this huge space station, and like I can see every detail of that in my head from his book. And that's what was interesting about Neuromancer was like the the space station was kind of it, it I, I don't know like there were parts of it that I could picture but other parts that just seemed kind of it didn't seem that fantastic it was just kind of just another city that they went to in some ways of the of Stevenson the only thing I've read is Anathem and every chance I get I tell people to read it because it I read it like 10 years ago now and it's so much of it still sticks in my brain and a lot of the thematic elements are like I'm still chewing on them because it's such a good book. What would you say the theme of Neuromancer is? I have an idea, but uh, I, I kind of feel like this is a, uh, maybe not a nihilistic interpretation, but a very pessimistic interpretation of of humanity and about about life and about recognizing what's missing, but also sort of at like like the book itself being ambiguous about changing anything like recognizing yeah. that a, a problem with humanity i think anyway is when we lose purpose and meaning yeah. and from life and and i think that this author has a grasp of that of what's what is the problem and then paints this world where at the end nothing really changes or gets better and there's still no purpose and it's just sort of like and 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 along the way, I think he's just has fun with the language and creating this world for us. I think he's a just a really interesting artist. Like part of the, I listened to an audiobook version for part of this of him reading it, and him reading it was also very interesting. I thought he was Southern at first. He's Canadian, but he's got this drawl that makes it even more beautiful. Did he change voices when he was talking? As yes, he did. Yeah. yeah. Did you find the one on YouTube, Carrie? That yeah, I did. Flip the tape over to. It was yeah. like that's how, that's how old it is. It's like turn the cassette over. Right after a sex scene, too. It was like. <laughs> I love that part where she's all like, "I give a great massage," and like he thinks she means a massage. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Carrie, I, I'm going to agree with you on, I, if I had to describe the theme, I would say the theme is nothing matters. That's kind of what I feel about this book. Like it doesn't matter. I, I, I don't even think it matters that I read it. I read it and I was like, all right, there's a, this guy met up world. There's just nothing like I, nothing matters. It doesn't matter what the technology, like nothing mattered. Like, I don't know why anyone went on the journey. I don't really know whether the journey helped anyone grow. I don't know that anything changed. I don't really know that good triumph or bad triumph or it doesn't like, 
nothing nothing really mattered in this book at all well the book says it itself when, when case is like so what's the score how are things different and uh ai says things aren't different things are things mm, right and so even even the book kind of acknowledged that which i i, I kept rereading it. i'm like okay so but then he's talking to this other ai from another uh, solar system from alpha centauri and he's like yeah i'm, I'm talking to my own kind so mm -hmm. i you know the title of the book being neuromancer i thought okay this is about how an ai like knowing really almost nothing about this book i'm like I, I didn't even realize neuromancer was going to be the name of an ai i thought that was going to be the like the character type that case was like as a, a hacker i thought that was going to be the the slang for a hacker or something but seeing that is that that's the name of the ai and the ai wins in the end i thought okay this is going to be the beginning of an either an ai utopia or ai apocalypse but it's just sort of a AI meet and greet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like an AI convention. Work convention. Right, right. Yeah. I made some new friends today. See you later. <laughs> uh, you know what's interesting? You asked if any of us read cyberpunk. I've never read cyberpunk, but there was a time when I was really into splatterpunk. Do you guys know the splatterpunk genre? It was the same time. It was in the 80s. It, it's like really gruesome, horribly violent horror novels. And also a lot of them set in a dystopian future, not all of them. But what's really funny is those books, as violent as they are, I found more meaning and purpose in some of those than I do in this. Because at least at the end of those, they were like survivalist. And they didn't always survive, but you were sort of like a horror movie. You're rooting for the main character. And, it, and, it, and I know he survived at the end and all, but I remember anyway having more of a sense of uh, like the human spirit, uh, like a, 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 a maybe I'm remembering that, that genre wrong, but I remember it being in the horror version more than the sci-fi version being uh, somewhat uh, positive, some positivity in there maybe. <clears throat> anyway, well, most there's the more time, contrast in horror. Yeah, for sure. There's good guys. Because there's bad, there has to be good. Like, there's nothing horrific about watching bad guys kill other bad guys or ambiguous people kill other ambiguous right. people. It's horrific if good people are facing horror, right? That's what makes it horrific. Well, and again, I think he gives that away. It, on the, the very first line, the sky above the port was the color of television tuned to a dead channel. And there's a really fun, like, uh, in the intro to this book, it, um, they talk about that, how, you know, kids these days, they don't know what a dead channel is. They, they don't know what, like, staticky channels look like. Maybe I already talked about yeah. this. But, uh, again, that kind of sets the tone. Everything is just kind of gray in this world. So, yeah. Well, a dead channel, set to a dead channel, that's like, when Neuromancer yeah. is explaining who he is, he says, I am the dead and their mm. land. Mm. I feel a lot about, uh, a lot about this book might be about the acceptance of the world as it is, uh, like 
the dirtiness, the 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 essentially hopelessness of it is at the beginning for Case especially could destroy you and it is destroying him, but he's not destroyed by the end because he's he's he I do think he's better off by the end emotionally. Um so I think a bit of it is about maybe finding some piece of your own humanity in all this like bleakness because he did care enough to want Molly to live and um, and also to reject the construct. He still wanted to be in the real world. He walked out of that construct with Mm -hmm. Neuromancer. So I feel like there is still something like at the end it's just it's incredibly bar, though. <laughs> freaking uh, like subtle. And yeah, it's a low bar because things are so bleak. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to be on this shitty fake like beach eating MREs? <laughs> no, I prefer reality. It's like, all Why? right, well. Why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yay. <laughs> Which is funny because that shipping container was probably the mo- the roomiest place he had lived in, right? Because he, he had the capsule hotel, and then he had the spaceship, and then it wasn't that bad in, in some ways. There was sunlight. It, it felt like there was no sunlight anywhere else in the in the book. True. True. And he was with his old girl, his old girlfriend too, I guess. Right, Linda Lee, in the beach. In, in he the lost beach, yeah, Cecil yeah, Bye, yeah. Cecil. He he said he was having computer problems. Oh, um, but yeah, I actually can someone explain this to me? And I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that Alex, being the science fiction <laughs> expert, can explain this. How did Linda end up there again? Wasn't she killed? Did I miss that? Wasn't she murdered? Yeah, she was murdered, but that's a uh, copy of her brain, essentially, From living where? there. And this, the idea being that there's essentially no difference. But where did the copy come from? I don't remember how he got it. Like, I didn't really catch that part. Uh, to me, one of the things I found interesting, because I started the book over, is that at the very beginning, someone mentions that Linda Lee is his girl, and he goes, she's not my girl. Like, right. Yeah. He's like their relationship isn't even really a real relationship. Mm-hmm. And the whole reason that she dies in the first place is that she stole from him. Right. Right. So So he decides to not stay in an AI world that kind of sucks where he eats MREs and his non girlfriend is with him. Yeah. The bar's even lower than I thought, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's a land of the dead. I mean, that's yeah. so when neuromancer are saying, I am the dead. This is, I am the land of the dead. And he says, your girlfriend, she might be a ghost, but if she is, she doesn't know that. Just like in the Matrix movie, you know, when he goes, he's like, I just want to go back into the Matrix and not know that it's fake. Yeah, he says, and if you lived here, you wouldn't know either. Well, she kind of partially knows because she knows she can't go anywhere. You know, she knows she's trapped there. And I find that kind of interesting that we have Linda Lee who couldn't possibly leave because her body's gone. Uh, but she never seems to want to leave either. And it's like, uh, what? She knows her life back on Earth wasn't great, you know? And neither, But neither was Case's, but he still leaves. So I kind of, like, 
I, I, I think that she's there as a narrative juxtaposition of choice, not because but he, he likes he, Molly though. And she's back in the real world. He's on his way to save the woman that he cares the most about, whatever, how much caring that is, I don't know. And Linda's already a, like a, not my girlfriend. Yeah. And she's been dead for a while, so whatever. I'm off to save this person in the real world who I'm, I actually care about. And I'm being offered, again, some MREs on a beach. That's <laughs> crap. It's like, all right. I, well, and there, there's something to the fact that um, Case must have known that to stay in Neuromancer's world would mean he would die. Because it, it isn't like the Matrix in that way, in that it's not like his body was being nourished, you know, in one of those pods or something. Like, I found it interesting how they kept saying, like, you know, he had to wear a diaper or something to, like, go to, go in the Matrix. Or um, or to get him out of the Matrix, they had to, like, use, like, the paddles or something on him to, like, or he, or he died. And then they had to, like, bring him back to life with, like, the... Uh, whatever you call it, like the flatlined, like a yeah, like he flatlined, yeah, yeah, and so you know his body still was vulnerable, and but I guess if he had stayed there with Linda, he actually would have died, and then his consciousness would have stayed there or something, or or uh, it sounds like Neuromancer made a copy of him, like you said earlier. Yeah, he so, wouldn't have needed his body anymore. Right, so maybe that is the that is the decision he made. He's like, no, I want to actually live in the real world. Um, you know, where he starts out the book, like really wanting to get back in the matrix and just spend his whole time there. Like he's, 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 he's into drugs and he's doing all this stuff because he lost what he cared about. Uh, but now he doesn't want to just give his whole life to that. So that's, you know, I kept thinking, is this like, this would be too early for this, but is this like a metaphor for people with social media addiction or video game addiction or just internet addiction? Um, it almost seems like that. Like it almost predicts that. In a way. It could be heroin addiction. addiction. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But technological addiction is not new to the internet and even video games. Um, every advancement in technology results in some people taking it too far. Like that's just something that always happens. So, yeah. be, and, and that's my problem actually with the way people talk about technology these days is that they act as though Neuromancer, the novel, the world of the novel is the, the foregone conclusion is that we, and we all end up disconnecting and it's like, well, human beings disconnect uh, through technology and have forever. And then some of them find a way to get past it. So it's just, so to me, I, I feel like human beings can overcome this kind of thing without destroying it. Essentially, you know, putting Pandora's box, put it all back in Pandora's box. I don't think that um, that's a realistic view. I think it's a bleak view of how humans interact with technology. Yeah, it's an incomplete view. I mean, you can certainly look at all the things humans do wrong with technology, and some humans do it all the time. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like anything. I view technology as a tool, and it it's a it's a it's a giant lever arm for the will of humanity. So, if you will to waste your life, you can do a much better job with better tech. And if you will to do achieve great things, you can do a much better job with better tech. It really depends on 
what you want to do and how you want to use it. Um, and I agree, by the way, with uh, people have been losing themselves in text. And I just I recently read Snowden's book and right around the time that Neuromancers, I guess I guess he's a little bit older or sorry, a little bit younger, but like shortly after this book is written, he's you know, this is back in the day of like kind of crappy video games and billboards on the Internet. And like he talks about how he was basically as a young man just completely spending all of his time like eat sleep not even sleep very much be online constantly right um you don't need a vr headset and electrodes or whatever and, and you don't need the matrix to to do that um and and i think it's just because for a lot of people you know look the real world is beautiful and ugly and hard and easy and like it, it, it's got all this complexity to it and sometimes when stuff is not what you want in the real world, whether it's uh, I know people who escape by reading fiction books constantly, like you can, like, <laughs> there's always some way to escape the world. So you That's don't have to pay mine. attention to it. There <laughs> if, you go. I, if I'm trying to escape, it's through reading novels. It's not like, and I'm a video game streamer and everything, and it's not video games. It's novels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tolkien talks about that where, if the uh, about escape through fiction, how you know we, we think of that word in a negative sense, like we, we think of it like a soldier deserting his army. But what if we're actually talking about prisoners? Like a prisoner's duty is to escape. And so it's like there's good escape and there's bad escape. Um, and so you, you know a story can be an escape into a better and truer world. Um, or I, not just fiction, but like a thing can be escape into a better and truer world, or it can be escaping into imaginary world. And so, yeah, ma maybe that is the good thing about this novel is that he could have escaped into that imaginary world, but he, he chose not to. So maybe that's the sliver of hope. Like you said, it's a low bar. Why didn't he go but... live with the Rastafarians? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, yeah, he that could, could, he could smoke pot all day and <laughs> live with the Rastafarians in space. That sounds great. No, they, they I, did seem like cool people. <laughs> there, there's something I like about what you're saying, Zach, because there's also something that I think maybe is an I'm not sure you're saying this, but I think you are. And maybe it's a nuance that like we can be critical of people who who spend, quote, too much time on video games or too much time in virtual reality in, in a book or too much time reading fiction. <clears throat> Alex. <laughs> um, but sometimes like you have to take into account their entire context. And like, if you're stuck in, let's say you're stuck in North Korea and you literally like, you can't, you're like in this horrible circumstance and there's not a lot you can do about your horrible circumstance. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's actually a healthy psychological choice to spend a lot of time reading bootleg fiction books and <laughs> jack it into VR if you could. And like, you know what? I got to enjoy my life somehow. I've got to do something. And I'm literally in, not everyone is in a position that it's even possible to, and I'm thinking specifically of children, like, cause, cause you brought up Tolkien, right? Which is a, it's a kid's book. And like, there are some kids who are just in horrible, horrible circumstances that they do have no power to change. And you know what, if escaping for 18 hours a day into video games makes them happy, that's probably, that's probably the healthiest psychological choice. Well, and then if your situation is probably like for the people who are escaping, like who are not in that kind of situation, 
Um, it could be that they're escaping from psychological turmoil. Maybe they have some kind of mental illness, sure. which then I understand it too. You're trying to, sh basically when you're doing something escapism, you're trying to shut down your brain. You're, that's essentially what you're doing is shutting down any anxieties or depressions or self-hatred. You're, you're walking away from your problems. Now, doing it for like an hour a day is probably good for everybody. You know, that you just sometimes because you need a break. If you're it's respite, yeah. Yes. If you're pushing if you're redlining all your stress hormones all the time, you're gonna die. Like it's not it's not good for you. But if you take an escape every once in a while, every like, you know, for a little bit every day, you're probably doing yourself some good there. Now the problem becomes like when someone who could who does have a psychological problem that could be solved just does that does the escape all the time then it's not um you know a normal healthy behavior then it's just a way of preventing yourself from ever growing ever living oh. in the real world confronting your yeah. reality yeah. trying to make yeah right. yeah it's how, again it's how you use it just like the yeah. tech tools we're talking about fiction is how you use it right morphine is how you use it it's it's great if you're you know need certain to be operated on probably good to be on morphine right but like you know normally probably not well, yeah. and it and it's what you're sacrificing that really matters you know it's like uh yeah uh, you know as a father if i'm if i'm gonna sacrifice all my time my, my non-work time playing video games that's i'm sacrificing my kids for that right and so right. but if i play video games with them then that's a that's totally different uh, or even if I just take an hour here, an hour there, um, I seem to have lost a lot of interest in video games. And I used to be a big gamer. I keep wondering why that is, but I guess you just kind of grow out of things sometimes. Yeah. Or maybe uh, your uh, escapism, maybe you need it less, or which is good. Or maybe you have different types of escapism now. Yeah. You know, it it just kind of. I think that just happens with. Because I don't read Splatterpunk anymore. Um, yeah, ever since I started heroin, I've my video game can. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that. That's like Uncle Buck. Remember that 1980s yeah. movie where he's like, he's like, yeah, yes. I gave up cigarettes. Now I've moved on to cigars, and then I'll move on to the patch, and <laughs> yeah. then I'll then I'll do pipes. So it's like just kind of one thing after another. Yeah, but I, I've thought about this whole thing of escape a lot during COVID because it's like when when you couldn't see people. When you couldn't go places, when you couldn't just go to a coffee shop, you know, and just get out, you know, where do you go and what do you do? And everyone jokes about, you know, the COVID-19, like the, or the COVID-15, how everyone just kind of went to food. Um, and, you know, for me, my, my escape from uh, the be last year a lot was humor. It was like, I'm going to go look for funny stuff not just for myself, but for my kids and just try to like every day, try to make everyone laugh at something. And so, God, you know, things like the Babylon, things like the Babylon Bee. I read like every Babylon Bee article every day. I became a subscriber to start pitching jokes. Cause I'm like, I'm either going to laugh or I'm going to cry <laughs> Get everything going on. Yeah. And you know, and it's like, if I spend an hour a day doing that, is that, is that a waste of time or is that, is that survival? You know, and so I think it again. It all depends. Are you escaping? Are you escaping your obligations, or are you escaping a prison? You know, uh, 
the you're because you brought up the COVID thing and I'm just thinking about this. One thing I started to to research a little bit and think about was, um, and it's kind of this has changed after researching this. It's changed my perspective on activities. Um, I I now think in terms of dopamine, oxytocin, and serotonin, um, and often what happens when we can't see people when we're not going outside, um, when we're not having like physical, even just a handshake or a hug or sitting across the table for like, we're not having, when we're not having that face-to-face -face or physical contact, our oxytocin levels suffer. We're not outside, our serotonin levels suffer for some of this stuff as well. And all the escapism that we're talking about, it's all dopamine. It doesn't give you any oxytocin. It doesn't give you any serotonin. It gives you dopamine. And the problem with dopamine is it's a nice stopgap, but kind of like cocaine, you need more again afterwards. Like it's it's it gets a little bit like okay, now I need more dopamine. Now I need even more dopamine. I got to keep going on dopamine. And the truth is, the dopamine will never take the place of the oxytocin and serotonin. Um, it just won't. Yeah. So I started. It's gonna sound weird, but like I started going outside during the summer to read in the sun. Like I started sunbathing to read. <laughs> Because I was like, well, at least it's it's like sun gives me some of the right. chemicals that I'm missing. Like it's it's I and I don't have another way to do it. Right? You can't. You know what you else know. would work, Carter? Petting your what? cat while you read. Yes, I was about to my say that. My cat is so afraid of me. I could never get anywhere near <laughs> close to petting my cat. Oh. <laughs> But yeah, because yeah, you do no get an oxytocin dose from petting your from petting you a do. cat, and a cat gets yeah. an oxytocin dose from being with you. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Which is why pets would be a great COVID, like when when people were locked down and stuff. Pets sure. would be a great um, form of therapy, right? Um, and I think there's pet pet therapy is a thing. Yeah, it uh, is. I got a companion so, cat. <laughs> yeah, emotional assistance animal. But I look at the stuff and getting back to Neuromancer, I look at the stuff in like this future and even the Oculus, like, okay, this, this future, which seems pretty close of a lot more uh, interactivity and a lot more immersion in virtual worlds. And I see lots of awesome potential for it. And I'm actually quite excited about it. But uh, it's all it's all dopamine, which is if it's if it comes at the expense of going out to dinner with your friends or, you know, going on a walk with your spouse or hanging out with your kids, right? Like it's not going to take the place of those things. Like it's not going to leave you satisfied. I do have you a know question. What I, uh, I do have a question for you, Carter. Do you consider things like this dopamine? We're sitting here talking, connecting. Cause I don't, this is, I don't, um, I don't think it is. This actually, but it won't give us it. it, it Depending on the, I, I'm not an expert here, but I think depending on the quality of the conversation and what we get out of it, I think we might get a little bit of serotonin, but we don't get oxytocin out of this at all. So yeah, this is dopamine, or like that's maybe a little bit of serotonin. I think someone can correct me. Who knows better in chat? But I don't think we get any oxytocin out of this at all. We would, why we we, were, we would if you and I were sitting next to each other and like we could like touch. tap each other or like you know whatever. Like yeah, that yeah it would be better. You think we're all touch starved? Yeah. I was going to yeah, say, have you seen actually, there are people now yes. who you can hire to come to your house and pay them by the hour to cuddle with you? Yes, there's an app. 
Someone was showing wow. me this app like a few months ago. Wow. I think it's fascinating. There's like a cuddle app. Yeah. And you can, it's like Tinder, supposedly non-sexual Tinder. You like <laughs> connect and cuddle with people. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's I, the trend in Japan where people could like yeah. rent boyfriends and girlfriends for like events. Like, like <laughs> I thought yeah. of that too. The Japanese thing that's been going on for years. That's not even like yeah, that's, that's not, not a new. lockdown yeah. thing in Japan. <laughs> yeah, no, that's Any, a normal anyway, Japanese. you guys can find me on the app under KSE Mamajima. <laughs> well look i mean you can you can laugh oh, at it God. and you can say like oh how weird but the fact is i think there are a lot of people who are that speaks to like there's demand such an app would not exist if there was not demand for people right. to just cuddle well that's, especially that's during sad especially during lockdowns like i have friends who think about if you are single and you don't have kids and you right. don't maybe maybe you have a pet but there's no human for a human touch I have a friend who is a uh, massage therapist and that's her job is human touch and, con and connection. And she's a very empathetic person and she's very uh, much into touch. And, and the lockdowns were especially hard on her because all of that, her whole job industry dried up. She couldn't do and it. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's gotta be especially hard during, during this past year for people. Well, well the last you know, year Carter, that has been horrible because of that. I mean, we've been so isolated from each other. I mean, I was so happy when I found Unsafe Space because <laughs> I was going nuts back in May of last year or whenever, June, after everything was going crazy, haywire here in the US. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's so an, such an important thing. And you wonder, you know, what's the long-term implications for for people just living the way we have meant some people not as bad as others because depending on where you live you might have a little more liberty but but i love yeah. all those like interactions like i just got back from church and there's a fellowship there with people you know it's like you hug you yeah. pat on the back you shake hands you touch yeah. and now we're when, moving for, into for this for a like, year you couldn't even yeah. give somebody a handshake because it would be like well Maybe they're not going to. There's like a distrust and yeah, you, you, you and, that type of thing, like, you know. So, yeah, hey, Carter, it's interesting that you you phrase you catch all this in terms of like a chemical balance because we hear that phrase a lot. Oh, he has a chemical imbalance, and you know, our we live in the 21st century West, and so we try to fix everything through. Uh, through technology or, or drugs or whatever. So it's like, well, the solution to a chemical imbalance is chemicals. And it's like, that's, you know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. If someone can't naturally produce those chemicals some other way, then sure, they, they need that balance. But you're right in that there are, there are a lot of ways that we can get those chemicals naturally and, and through healthy ways. And so, um, you know, and it, you know, back back to the book. It's like his his story, Case's life, starts out in this addiction to all these chemicals, and it ends. It seems to end where he's not using, and so, you know, may, maybe that's a little bit of a metaphor there. It's like he he's able to meet those needs in other ways, like through a relationship, through a through a job, um, but. 
Yeah, I, I just I can't imagine that the people that have had small businesses that have closed by all of this stuff. Like I was thinking recently of that at the very beginning of this last year, there was a woman in Fort Worth that Fort Worth, Texas, that had a had a small store like selling things, and then she was like, "Well, I guess I'll just sell them online, like on Facebook Live, uh, and then people can come pick them up." And then at the time, they were really strict you know, measures about that. And then she got arrested. And then wow. eventually the, the, I think the, the Texas attorney general got involved and he's like, you know what? We've gone too far uh, where, where someone can't even make a living. Uh, and then they, I, I think they rolled back some of those measures, but uh, yeah, I, I think we've all been in some state of chemical imbalance this yeah. last year. I, I like your idea, Carter, about doing something, outside that you could do inside like i started going on walks and listening to podcasts because i'm like well i'm not driving to my office i guess i'll just and that's usually where i listen to you guys and where i listen to other podcasts so i'm like well i guess i'll just go walk around the neighborhood and listen to stuff um yeah that was well, physical activity uh helps with those chemicals and sunlight helps with those chemicals so it's like yeah. you know but I, do, I i ultimately am of the of the belief that like nothing actually substitutes for human contact and i know for guys it's not hugs as much but like sparring and sport like literally just hitting other people and being hit like i know that sounds weird maybe for people who like don't spar but i i used to love sparring i did and i didn't come away from a sparring match with like animosity towards the person i was sparring with it was like I wanted to hug them afterwards and they wanted to, it was like oh fucking awesome we did this great thing like it was it's this connecting thing and it's that physical contact with humans that i think we are it's just gone it's yeah. gone and 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 i think there's long-term consequences of it because a lot of people are now saying oh it turns out i can work from home and my business now is letting me do this and that and the other thing and like i get it you can save on rent there's lots of reasons there's actually a lot of good sides of being uh remote working like there's a lot of reasons to do it but uh, you've got to then make up for the loss of human contact or something. Up. Yeah. Well, yeah, my, my son, my four-year-old or five-year-old son's love language is tackling me. So just, <laughs> right. you know, <laughs> right. but wherever exactly. I'm sitting, if he sees me, he'll run across the room and just nail me. And I'm like, you know, or if, if I'm on the floor, like on my hands and knees, he's like, oh, it's wrestling time. They'll just jump on my back. And yeah, that, that's how guys have physical contact it's through causing pain or, or friendly pain anyway Wrestling. yeah even <laughs> my daughter has recognized that that's our like you know she'll try and kick me when i'm walking by or attack me or whatever it's like because she knows that like that's that's how we get physical contact usually like it that's it's a affectionate thing um and i like that's why puppies play right um we'll that's why animals do that's like cats well speak to alex that's why cats that's why cats like play fight um yeah it's there's value there you're, i used to right, have though. to I, I, go ahead oh i was just gonna say I, I just don't know what the rules are anymore you know like like carrie i was at church this morning too and it's like okay do i do i hug people like used to do i handshake do i fist bump yeah. do i just kind of nod politely like you know what i do you know, i all i just always go 
whatever I want to do, if it's a handshake or a hug, I just, as I'm leaning in, I go, do you hug? And then they're like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I asked them and if they were to say no, I would pull back. You but I find them. Most people want to hug you and they also appreciate that you asked, but because you're so close already, they're like, <laughs> okay, yeah. I'll hug. Choice, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really weird. I've never been the kind of person who likes to be touched. Even by people like I, that I'm close with, I'm sort of like, don't touch me. I don't like that. So I've been mostly okay throughout all this. And I saw a bunch of people <laughs> that I know uh, well enough to really want to be comfortable with them on Thursday and we didn't touch at all. And I didn't have a problem with that. I don't feel like I missed anything, <laughs> but I, but I feel like I'm the outlier here. You know, I, I understand the idea that that's not how most people are, which uh, it's like, I'm, I'm okay, but I know that a lot of people are not okay with this. Most of them are not, it's not just a getting spectrum. what they need. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say that my level is so low that it, that I never need it. That's not true. I'm not going to say that. But, like, it's much lower than average, I'd say. Maybe your cat is just really awesome. (laughs) (laughs) She does really love me. (laughs) I think there's a similar thing with the masks, too. Like, I'm imagining the people that drive around alone in their cars with their mask on, like, just, like, I don't know if they don't care or what it is, but, like, aside from not being able to see or read lips or hear somebody really well. The thing that annoyed me about the mask was it's just like, I can't see your face. Yeah. Like, I can't stand it. It takes I, away from the humanity and yeah. And like, and as has to be so bad on kids and anybody who's, you know, developing, like I saw this video of his teacher forcing this mask on this like two year old and I'm just I like, you are I just watched that. Yeah. abuser, like absolutely horrible. I yeah. hated that. <laughs> I saw, I heard a funny uh, retort about the mask wearing recently. If you guys want to use it, it made me laugh. It was imagine having a nine, over 99% chance of not shitting your pants and still wearing a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. So can we it's extend it and say because because you're not wearing a diaper, I might shit my pants. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It's just a joke, guys. Anyone watching? Who is They're gonna clip that though. Anything else on neuromancer? I mean, this has been fun, but I feel like we've we've moved away. If there's any other comments or thoughts about neuromancer, uh Let's do it. Otherwise, I think we can call it a day. Let's plug the next book, too. I don't know what it is because I Which forgot. I oh, it's Texit. It's yeah, it's Texit. Oh, like Brexit, but for Texas? Yeah, I Brexit, thought I had it here. But with barbecue. Maybe Sarah Silverman will join in the next book club now that she seems to be on board with a, with a national divorce. I don't know if you all heard about Who? that. Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman, yeah. of all people. Oh, Sarah Silverman. Yeah. 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 So the next book is Texit. Uh, I don't remember when it is, but it's on the website. Um, and the okay. one after that is your, Mar- a... your Margaret Atwood book is after. Texit. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, no. I didn't know that. Which one? So, so uh, first is, first is Texit for anyone listening. It's written by Daniel Miller and he just got in touch with me, Carter. 
and is willing to do an interview. So we'll figure mm. that out. However, that happens. Awesome. Isn't that cool? Um, yeah. And, and he, I, I just think I have, I, I wanted to read this because, and I'm glad you guys picked it. Cause I, I just want to know more about secession. I don't even know enough about it to even have an opinion. So, um, so that's the next book. And then, and then the one after is, uh, what is Margaret Atwood, the handmaid's tale. Yeah. yeah. So the Texit one is October 24th. I don't, we don't have a date for, okay. I'm, I'm like 99% the next one is Margaret Atwood. We had all the fiction books laid out in order and I'm pretty sure Headmaid's Tale is, is after Neuromancer. I'm again, 99% sure on that. Uh, but and if you're that. at, if you're at home and you're thinking, Oh, the Handmaid's Tale, it's a leftist, whatever because of the TV show, I would encourage you to put that aside and read the book and see how far the TV show departs from the book. I mm. have read it. I haven't I still even seen like it. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say, Manny? No, I heard I Alex. Seen show, so. Oh, well, good. That's even better. Cool. All right. So uh, with that, thank you everyone for joining. Um, this has been great. Uh, and we will see you. We'll see everyone else. I guess tomorrow and uh, yeah yeah thank thanks again to all for all of you for joining book club thank you later thanks guys bye thanks for watching if you're new to the channel we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from mike cernovich to megan murphy so go check it out if you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms. Well, mostly. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and may be subject to federal entrapment. Research shows that wearing a mask significantly reduces the risk of becoming infected with independent thought. The next war will be nothing like Afghanistan. I promise. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific and scientifically are registered trademarks at the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.